All right. Well, you know, this morning, already up there, starting a new series called Monsters in Church, Dysfunctional Disciples of Jesus. Now, it's fall. And uh, this is typically the time when the classic movie monster movies start showing on TV. On Well, okay, I'm getting old. Channel 27 doesn't exist anymore. But when I was a kid, Channel 27 showed all the classic stuff, like, you know, Lon Chaney and all those people like that. And so the movie monsters, of course, aren't real. And I'm not talking about this stuff that, that passes for, for, for movie monsters today. Today isn't really horror. It doesn't build up suspense. It doesn't make you think anything. I'm talking about the classic guys, the people that Lon Chaney played or that Boris Karloff played. Those people, the, the, the classics, those people. But each one, although they aren't real, I've always had a theory that there is some allegory to each one, some metaphor to each one, something that, that each monster really can teach us about life. And as I prayed over what those, what those are, I began to realize this is a lot about people in church, because there are people in church who, Evan's always laughing at me, I'm going to make her so back to me. There, there are people in church sometimes who do not fit the mold, who for some reason or another find themselves in, in a state of dysfunction. And so this morning we start this series, and we're starting with one that's probably the most dangerous of all the, the movie monsters that I'm going to talk about in this series, because it's the one that may place you on the road to whether or not you actually know Jesus. And that is the zombie. You know what a zombie is, right? A zombie was somebody who was dead, and they're still dead. But somehow they move, right? I mean, you know, it's true. They're, they're still dead. They're not alive. They're still dead. They move. They look alive. There's plenty, plenty, plenty of activity. But... There's not much there. And this morning, our text comes from the book of Revelation. Um, there, you can't get a better description of zombie believers than anywhere else. Because in Revelation chapter 3, starting in verse 1, Jesus says, Write to the angel of the church in Sardis. The one who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars says, I know your works. You have a reputation or a name for being alive, but you are dead. Be alert and strengthen what remains, which is about to die, for I have not found your works complete before my God. Remember, therefore, what you have received and heard, keep it and repent. But if you are not alert, I will come like a thief, and you have no idea at what hour I will come against you. Let's pray. Father God, we come to you right now and we thank you and praise you for your blessings. Father, we ask right now that you would take this time, Father, use it for your glory. Father, use me as a vessel in the words that I speak be yours and yours alone. Father, we thank you, we praise you, and we ask all these things in the name of your Son, Jesus, and for his sake. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Sardis. Not sardines. Sardis. It's a church. And people knew it. They were the church. They were the ones that everybody knew. These people do what people in church are supposed to do. They do it all. There's a lot of activity, but Jesus here says to them there wasn't much meaning. 
You have a name that means being alive, a reputation for being alive. You're Christians. You're followers of, of Jesus, but you're dead. There, there's something lacking. I have found your acts incomplete. They put on a good show, but didn't let the Spirit of God affect them very much. <laughs> so, we have here zombie Christians. Right? You have a name that is alive, but Jesus literally says, but you are dead. There's no clearer, there's no clearer imagery there. So what makes a zombie Christian? Well, first, a zombie Christian has works without faith. Now let that sink in for a minute. They have works without faith. Their works are incomplete. James, over in the second chapter of his epistle, he makes it clear that faith is seen through works. Because, you know, there was that big, if you look in church history, there's been a big debate on whether Paul and James can agree, right? Because Paul says it's all about grace, and he's, everybody says James all is about works. But that's not what James says. James says it's about faith, but I'll show you my faith through my works, because my works are an outgrowth of the faith that I have. And so James is clear here that a living faith is required. But zombie Christians have works without faith. What does that look like? Well, they go through the motions of religiosity, but they're lacking in Jesus. There's no compassion. They're the people who they see someone who's sinning and they go, I can't believe they would do that. I can't believe he would take that step. I can't believe she'd make that choice. Instead of their hearts breaking for their fellow human in need, living in sin, they look on in judgment. It reminds me of a story that Jesus tells as he's sitting there with the disciples and talking about the kingdom of God. And the Pharisee and the sinner were there. Remember, the Pharisee stands up and he says, Oh, God, I thank you that I am blessed. And I give my time. And I go to church. I'm paraphrasing. And I go to church. And I do all the great things. And I thank you especially that I'm not like that sinner over there who does all those things he should. And the sinner, he just sits there and goes, Have mercy on me, Lord, because I'm a sinner. And Jesus said, That man is going to heaven. That man's the one who has it. The Pharisee's over there clicking his tongue. James Barrett's one of my favorite pastors that I listen to. And he preached this sermon, and this is how he ended it. He's like, I love that story because always at the end of it, I kind of go, how many of you just thought I'm glad I'm not like that Pharisee? <laughs> yeah, I thought it. I was guilty. I became the Pharisee not wanting to be the Pharisee. There's no compassion. They, they're lacking really any feelings at all, right? A zombie doesn't have any feelings. There's no joy. There's no happiness. There's, there's no sorrow or anger. Zombies just go through emotions. We all know people like that, right? They have no real emotion. 
They just live their life. You never see them happy. You never see them joyful. You never really see them anything. Bueller. Bueller. That's, you know, we've known people like that, right? We've known those believers who never know anything, who never do anything, who just go through the motions. There's no warmth. A dead person's cold. That, that's just it. It's the truth. The first time I ever encountered a dead person, that was the thing that really stuck out to me the most, is there's no warmth. We're used to warmth when we touch someone. We're used to that. So how many Christians have no warmth? They look like they care, but they simply want to make it through another meeting. They simply want to make it through one more worship service. They simply want to check out that box. There's no warmth. There's no, there's, there's no, there's no laughter. There's, there's none of those things. Jesus teaches so much on love in the Gospels, but somehow we miss it. There's that stilted movement. Now I know in the past 40 years, zombies have evolved in movies. But real zombies from back in the day, how did they move? Barely right. The stilted movement that doesn't work. That's what a zombie Christian has this stilted movement. They're out of place doing the work of God. You ever been around someone who they were doing this work that you knew was for God, but they just didn't seem like they should be doing it because something was missing? Something was out of place? Something was out of character? Every movement was unsure or jerky because they're working in their own power. When we work in our own power, we're always going to come up short. Zechariah 4.6 says, It's not by might and not by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. We have to have the spirit to move. We have to have the spirit of God to do the things that God is calling us to do. That's part of what we have to have. Because if we're working in our own power, we find ourselves lacking. So a zombie Christian has works without faith, but a zombie Christian also has farming without fruit. Now, I guess you probably don't farm for fruit. Because they grow on trees. What do you call a grove person? I should have thought harder about that, I guess. I, you know, is an orange grove for a farmer? Does a farmer do that? Or does they? Matthew 7, 16 through 20 says, You'll recognize them by their fruit. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? In the same way, every good tree produces good fruit. But a bad tree produces bad fruit. A good tree can't produce bad fruit. Neither can a bad tree produce good fruit. Every tree that doesn't produce good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. So you'll recognize them by their fruit. Zombie Christians bring nothing to the table. There's no fruit. Have you ever... <clears throat> I have a theory. I'm, I'm, I may get I may get shot on this one. I have a theory that the reason Baptists do potluck is because we don't trust people to bring what they're supposed to bring. <laughs> and everybody's back there shaking their head. Yes, you know it's like when we say, "Okay, you're bringing the turkey and you're bringing the green beans and you're bringing the corn." I'm always afraid that I'm going to have 15 dishes of corn and nothing else. But then you have 
that person who, who, who's a zombie who brings nothing to the table. They just, they didn't try. And that's also a metaphor. Not that you have to bring something every time we eat, but that we don't bring, that don't try. There's nothing there. There's no fruit. Jesus is clear we have to produce good fruit. But what does that mean? It means we have to be a functioning, vital part of the body of Christ. Zombies take what belongs to others. Zombies are looking for one thing in a movie. You may guess what it is? Brains. It's brains. They take what doesn't belong to them. That's what a zombie Christian does. They take and take and take and never give back. These people in Sardis, that's what they were doing. They were taking and taking and doing things for their glory and putting things out there, but they were never allowing Jesus to work and to move. Zombie Christians don't produce fruit. Our lives will show evidence of change. Galatians 5.28, the fruit of the Spirit, will have those fruit. Those things will happen. And the first one is what? Love. It's easy. We make it hard. Well, I can't love them. Do you know what they did? No. But God knows what you did. Zombie <laughs> Christians don't have fruit. There's nothing there. They're not productive. They're not doing anything to help. Instead of being the church, they pretend to be the church. Instead of being fishers of men, they become keepers of the aquarium. That was good, wasn't it? Write that one down. <laughs> the church is supposed to be a place where you fish. We're supposed to be a boat or a dock. We're not supposed to be an aquarium. We're not supposed to be polishing the windows to make sure people can see it. We're supposed to be bringing people in. That's the call. That's what we're told to do. That is the only, the only job any believer has. Now we may all have different functions and we may all do different things, but our only job, we all have it, being fishers of men, going out and making disciples. But here's the saddest thing about zombie Christians. Zombie Christians don't know they're dead. They don't know they're dead. Zombies don't know they're dead. They just walk around. Zombie Christians don't know they're dead. How many times do we read Jesus say things about that? Some are going to get there. And they're going to say, Lord, I, I preached in your name. Uh, I, I did miracles in your name. Jesus, I, I did all the things. I checked all the boxes. I, I, I did it. And Jesus is going to say, depart from me because I never do. That's the scary part. Is that there are people in churches everywhere across America who are dead. And they don't know it. They don't understand it. They don't get it. They think they're doing the right thing because they are checking the boxes, but they're missing the mark because the relationship with Jesus is not there. That relationship has to drive us. It has to be at the core. It's the nuclear reactor of who we are. Because without it, what happens? 
We just go through the motions. It's always amazing to me that if I'm dead tired, if Jesus is the one working through me, I can keep going. I can work all day. If you if you've never done this. I don't know how to explain it. Y'all always look at me because we'll have a meal and I'm like, I can't eat for like 30 minutes. So, I mean, it's just, it just, just takes something out of it. If you're letting Jesus do it. <laughs> if you're letting Jesus move, there's just this, this power. You know, I think back to, to the woman who, who, who reached out to touch his cloak and he felt the power leave him. Man. When Jesus begins to use power and he begins to work through you, you can do whatever it is he's called you to do, no matter what it is, because he's going to give you the power and he's going to work you through it. But if we're doing it on our own, you start just stilted. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to rest a little while. But did you know hope isn't lost for zombie Christians? So how do we keep from becoming a zombie or coming back from being one? Well, first, we need to wake up to our condition. He says, wake up. Be alert. The easiest thing in the world to do is walk away from Jesus. And as some of you are going, what? You know, it's not easy. But that first step is hard. It's the first step. It's that first step where, oh, I don't need to get up and read this one. I'll be good. And then the next time, it's, it's easier to say, well, I'm already a day behind. I'll catch up with And then it's easy to get comfortable not having Jesus there, not being a part. It's easy. Nobody's immune. Carrie and I have been there between churches Back way long time ago, on our first Flintstones car, <laughs> we got up and we don't want to go to the church we used to go to, and we drove around town. You know how many Baptist churches are in Abilene, Texas? There's like 207. You drive and you go. I wonder what kind of Baptist they are. Let's go to the next one. We drove all morning long. So let's just go home and eat lunch. And the next Sunday, it was just easy to stay in bed. It's easy. Pastor Crown sang the song called Slow Fade. It's a slow fade. Psalm 1. 
It takes a little step. And then another. It's funny how we can get used to anything. One step at a time. So, Jesus tells the church in the Sardis, wake up to your condition. Be alert. Know what's going on. Don't deny it anymore. Don't deny it. Don't deny that you're dead. Don't deny that something's missing. You know, that's with any problem in the world, no matter what it is, the first step is always to admit that there's a problem. If, if, if you're struggling with the relationship with Jesus, you have to admit that the problem's there. Because it's easy to say, well, I know I didn't read the Bible this week, but I'll make it up next week. Because you're not going to make it up next week. Because if you didn't have time this week, you're not going to have time next week. Because you never get any more time. Ever. There are 24 hours in a day. Most of you are awake for about 16 of them. Sometimes I'm awake for about 19 or 20 of them. I never sleep. And I still wish there was more time. <laughs> I still wish I had a little bit more. He says, wake up. Second thing he says is to strengthen what remains of the faith that you claim. Strengthen what you have before it dies. Just takes a little spark. Just takes a little bit. We had a fire last night in the backyard. Okay, we, 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 we made a fire last <laughs> We didn't have a fire. We built a fire. And it started and it went, then it went away. Sometimes seven-year-olds and four-year-olds are impatient. And they wanted s'mores back. And Charlotte was like, Daddy, can I go get some gas? And I said, no. <laughs> no. Just wait. Just wait. And about two minutes later, what happened? The flame popped up. And then it began to burn. It began to get bigger. Jesus tells the church of Sardis to strengthen what remains. Maybe just a little bit. It may be a memory. You may still be living off of youth camp 1994. It may be there, just a little spark, but guess what? If you strengthen that spark, it could be a blaze. Just song in the hymnal, set my soul fire, Lord. I sang that all day yesterday. Probably because I was playing with fire, but <laughs> set my soul fire. Strengthen what remains. Take that spark and work with it. Put fuel on it. Pour gas on it. Fan that flame until it's a burning forest that consumes your life because then, then the Spirit of God begins to. last thing, the last way that we keep from becoming a zombie or coming back from being one that Jesus says is remember the gospel you have received there. When's the last time you were overwhelmed by what Jesus did for you? We have a tendency to get Calloused toward things. 
if you watch the news long enough, you get callous toward things, right? You get callous towards the the blood and the and the and the, and the casualty and everything else. You you begin to hear these things and they don't affect you the way they did originally. They they start just kind of bouncing off. I'm afraid sometimes because we don't tend to the spark, the same thing begins to happen in church. Because we open the Bible to a to a passage that we've heard before, and we go, oh, I've heard of that. And we tune out. I posted a, a meme on Facebook last night. It said, if you think Nicodemus is a patch to quit smoking, you need to quit sleeping with the sermon. <laughs> Our problem is we get callous to the things of life. We get callous to the things of life, but we get callous to the things of God. When's the last time you were overwhelmed by the love that Jesus showed? If we don't allow ourselves to be overwhelmed, we soon find ourselves working from our own strength. We, uh, the number one group that is hardest to get in church is me. And the truth is, if daddy starts church first, the family follows much more easily. But I believe the reason we have such a hard time getting men in church sometimes is we like to be tough. Right? Brother Troy, if I'm overwhelmed, what does that say about who I am as a man? Well, to me, it says you're a real man because you don't care who you think. But that's not how people think in this culture, right? We think, oh, he's crying. With me, it's usually he's crying again, but he's crying. I mean, we can't afford to allow our families to suffer because we're afraid to allow Jesus to work on our heart. I don't want my son growing up thinking it's not okay to cry anymore. Some of the toughest men I've known in my life cry mm -hmm. when the situation calls for it. I don't mean, are you watching girly romantic movies and you cry? We <laughs> <laughs> don't have to do that. I mean, there 
there are children in this world who are abused and mistreated by the people who are supposed to protect them. I mean, there are people that we know that are in our families who if they die today, they're going to hell. If you can't cry over that, you need to fan the spark. The most powerful verse in all of Scripture was just two words. Take a guess at what it is. Jesus wept. You can't get any more manly than Jesus. He walked into the temple and he tossed those tables. That's the one men love to hear. He walked in there and he shook that place up and men go, yeah, that's Jesus. But he's also the one who knows his friend is, is in the grave and he cries. He weeps. Those words are in there for a reason. Every word is in scripture for a reason. And if Jesus can weep, so can we. Maybe this morning, you've been struggling with this relationship with Jesus. You've been struggling with fanning the spark because you felt it getting lower and lower. Because it's been difficult during this time when, we're, when they're trying to tell us not to do anything. It's hard. Church is meant to revive that spark. Church is meant to do those things. Here's the key. Church isn't for non-believers. Church is for believers. Church is for us to come and be equipped to go and make non-believers into believers so they can come and be a part and be lifted up as well. Maybe this morning you've been struggling with where you are with God. Now's the time to say, okay, God, I want to give it all to you. I want to walk with you. I want to do everything. Give it to him now. Maybe this morning you have been struggling with something else. Maybe there's just been something on your heart and you just can't seem to, to get rid of it. And it's just a burden that you've been carrying laid at the feet of Jesus. Maybe this morning you want to pray. The altar's open. I'll pray with you. Maybe you want to serve the missions or ministry. Maybe you want to join this church of membership. Maybe this morning... You've never known Jesus as your Savior. Maybe you're sitting there and thinking, that man just told me as a non-believer that this isn't for me. Come down. Let's make it for you. Let's take that step and know Jesus and then this will be a place where you can be recharged to go into the world and make a difference in the name of Jesus. Wherever you're at this morning, whatever you're needing, give it to Him. Would you pray